Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, May 16th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And today we're gathering at 6.30 a.m. And for our friend Charles Willett of Minnesota, he's not with us today, but we look forward to having back with us. And our other friend who sits in the pastor's seat, Bill Hull, is traveling and looks forward to rejoining us in a few weeks. Of course, this gives us a great opportunity to reconnect with a friend, pastor, and vital element of this program, John Debevoise, Senior Pastor at Palmasia Presbyterian Church. More on that in a moment. And for you followers of the Gospel Lectionary, this is Sunday, May 21st. That's where we're focused, and we're working to be faithful to year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader, and then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from John's Church. John Debevoise, and I'm the pastor at the Palmasia Presbyterian Church, where it's a privilege to be a colleague and a friend with Sarah. And uh, I also have the privilege of Worshiping there many times with uh, Don and Bill and Charles as well. It's great to have you here. And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead today is Sarah Nicholson, and she's going to read the scripture and uh, and uh, set out some guiding questions for our discussion. Hello, my friend. How are you? Good morning. I am well. Thank you for asking. Um, we are in Luke 24, and Luke 24 starts with um, the crucifixion. And so we're now at the end of Luke 24, and our scripture comes to us today um, from a perspective of ascension. So I'm going to start reading in verse 44, and it says, Then he said to them, These are my words, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Wow. (laughs) So this particular passage for me... um, I found this very difficult, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that my friends on the call can help illuminate um, some things for me. So my questions are, or I'll start with question number one. What are the hardest parts of this passage to fathom? What do you think, Don? I'm going to give you a first crack. I think I like the word fathom. Thank you. I don't use that much, but I'm familiar with it from literature of a child especially, but I like it. And uh, I think it's especially Lucan using that word because uh, it's a sense of the depth, what can be seen or unseen, what can be measured or not measured. 
and it's a standard measure, which Luke is setting out that there's, there's a new standard of measure here. You know, I remember uh, Bill Wallace, who uh, was a part of Pharmacy, a central part of Pharmacy, and a good friend of John Devilvoice, he used to teach uh, a chapel class on the lectionary, and he would uh, he would talk about uh, I think he would be paraphrasing Craddock, and he would talk about Jesus taught what was known, but there was a new understanding. So I just credit all kudos on using the word fathom because it also involves an unraveling or an opening up or a discovery. So there's a connection with the road to Emmaus and all of Luke. And then Luke stops and then picks up an act. So this, we're not, we're just, the story's just beginning in terms of the chapters. So I like it. Uh, I, I'm, the pit, what I pick in it is, is what's unfathomable is the departure itself and the nature of the departure uh, what, in the Luke world, what was witnessed. And uh, I understand its importance, but the theatricality of it, the way it needs to be stated that way, Jesus lifted up into the clouds is, uh, is beautiful. Uh, it marks a point, a transition, not not actually the end at all, but a transition. And uh, but I still scratch my head. I want to admit to everybody, I scratch my head at the theatricality of this. Uh, and when you think of Christ in the desert, what is this? And the, I guess it's a Christ the King kind of kind of statement. Uh, another thing that Bill used to quote, and it's only a paraphrase, but he would very frequently talk about N.T. Wright saying, this is the unexpected climax. So I'm saying, all right, there's the unexpected example, which is Jesus being lifted up, the unexpected climax. And I made a list of things that go through Luke and really all the Gospels that fit here, too. If this is written, you know, the late 60s, maybe all the way through the early to mid-70s in terms of time, uh, it would fit no matter where it was in the life of Christ. All through Luke, who is he? Is he alive? Uh, did he depart? Where did he leave? When did he leave? And where is he now? And those questions go through the walk of Christ. Is he walking the earth? Where is he? Where is he going? Is he alive? And I think this is the unexpected turn of those. The questions don't change, but... This clarifies the answer. Where is he? Am I going to fill in the blanks? Where is he? Is he alive? Did he depart? How how did he leave? That's a question I often would say. How did they go? Did you catch a train? Did you, did you disappear? Did you just wake up one morning and they were gone? How did he leave? This is not wake up one morning and they were gone. He's, he has departed in a specific way. Uh, when did he leave? And then where is he now? Uh, and it makes me wonder, uh, from a literary point of view, gee whiz, would this have been better at the first of Acts? Was it better to wrap up the book with this kind of a departure and then pick up with all the momentum of Acts? So my answer is the departure itself and the nature of that departure was the one that was hardest to fathom. But because of the word fathom, I'm, I'm into it. That's all I got there. What do you think, John? It's verse 51 for me, and Don was um, uh, focusing on that moment as well. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. That's the full description of the moment, uh, one verse. 
and um, it's uh, um, I think heightened in the fact that its uh, brevity uh, is an indicator that um, they lacked and we lack still actively vocabulary to describe it and also um, it's the vocabulary we have is boundary language. It's language that we use to talk about things that's beyond our vocabulary to describe. And fathom's a great word, I think. I, I appreciate your choosing it because that speaks to a kind of understanding that's beyond simply uh, in, in words being intelligible. Um, there's profound mystery here. Uh, and I think it, uh, it is true. I think it's true in that it's like recounting what the early Christian community around Luke heard and reported themselves as to what they experienced happening at that moment. But the vocabulary defies them and, and their understanding. It was literally unfathomable to them. Um, and, and I thought Don was right in his descriptions about it. It raises as many questions appropriately as it answers in uh, sort of the old newspapers, uh, the reporters' questions, who, when, where, <laughs> and how, you know. <laughs> and, and so it's about 51. And I know that I think it's also hard for us to fathom because as a church, um, especially in modern church by that, I mean from, you know, perhaps 1900 on, we, we haven't focused on or paid attention to ascension very much at all. This is the ascension. And I haven't paid attention to it. Um, I, in part, I'm, I'm believing it's because it's unfathomable. And so one of the ways that in the modern age we deal with that is to simply move on to something else and not talk about it. And, and that leads it to the realm often of interpretation of, of uh, art um, or music. Uh, as opposed to a discourse. Um, so uh, it's 51. And I, I like, if you take confirmation students and you, at the end of their class, you say, all right, do, do for me now your thumbnail sketch of the life of Jesus. You know, in, in most classes, they'll do pretty well. I'm talking about confirmation students in middle school, maybe even ninth graders. But I think this is probably true of adults in the Christian church in the United States as well as a whole. Uh, they say, okay, we start with Christmas, we get Bethlehem, they'll tell you about that, Mary and Joseph coming, the stars, they'll have a lot of infancy narrative details, and we've learned those stories well, and they'll take you through his teaching, they may talk some about some miracles, they may say, and then Jerusalem, they usually get him to Jerusalem, and there he was arrested, and he was crucified, they'll get that, and then they'll say, and on Easter, he rose again. God raised him from the dead. And then they put a period. There's, you know, so this part of what happens in the life story of Jesus doesn't get into modern Christian literacy uh, as much. Um, and uh, I bet that um, there's a high percentage of the folks who hear as they come to worship on this Sunday in the United States, this text being read, who would fail the exam on, and then what happened? <laughs> you know, because it's just not in their even literacy, let alone competence or capability to be able to speak of it. 
This is an unfathomable moment. Thank you. I I struggled. I have a couple of pieces in this puzzle that are, for me, um, moments of wonder. Um, verse 45. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> yes, please. And 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 to understand everything all at once. Um, it it you know it is echoed a little bit in the movie we saw um, this year take Best Picture with everything everywhere all at once. Um, a lovely uh, confluence of experience. Um, that particular verse and um, the verse that you both have referenced uh, with fifty one. Um, I think we're and, and verse forty eight too, because I feel a little bit in, um, uh, charged by that phrase and wonder what witness I could bear. So I'm thinking of those things. Um, so like the transformation and the resurrection, this reading asks us to suspend our understanding, our human understanding of the physical world and receive the divine reminder that God and Jesus command the universe and everything in it entirely. Um, While I acknowledge these miraculous moments, I struggle to imagine the scene playing out before me. And and, and that kind of like, it's like, as my brother would say, I'm ready for my Cecil B. DeMille experience with God where I can see the parting of the waters and I understand completely that this is where I am and this is where God is. And I think there's that that desire to to bear witness to the miraculous in such a profound way. Um, that led me to my second question. Um, we are called to bear witness and to be witnesses and to wait for the promised spirit. How has this come to pass or how have you experienced this in your life? Um, John, do you want to throw this one together for me? I um, begin by reporting that um, I think witness um, speaks to the reality that it is the role of someone who has experienced, particularly seen and heard something. So a witness is one who can report what they themselves um, experience. Um, But here it also has the added impetus of testimony. The witness um, is the one who experienced it, but also reports on it. So it has that dual role or a role from uh, a particular um, experiential equipping for that role. I have typically in the journey of my life, especially in the first two-thirds of it, felt that the role that the experience uh, positions us in was one that required from us or called from us verbal explanation, uh, that the role of the witness here, as it asked for in verse 48, is to verbalize um, before others um, what we uh, understood about the reality of God's work in Jesus the Christ. But at this point in my journey, uh, I'll say it seems to me that where my own witnessing has been engaged or effective um, 
has uh, more often been not through my verbalization, but rather uh, from uh, my living, um, non-verbalization. I'm not applying it high. I'm just reporting my surprise in that the uh, activity uh, has seems to have been as effective when I'm not using words, written or spoken, as when I am. <laughs> Community life or uh, simply life together without verbalization of it. Even since the first of the year, I had a moment where um, someone asked me, would I visit a friend of theirs, a loved one, and intentionally verbalize for them um, the content of the gospel, that they might hear it, that they might know that they have heard it. And, and I did that because it was, I thought, a fair thing and an appropriate thing to ask a pastor to do. But um, it, it, the effectiveness of it, um, I didn't think at that moment was as um, evident as the effectiveness of my other visits to the person, just in presence. Um, I think the person said as much to me, uh, uh, gently in response. So uh, the witnessing is a learned behavior um, in terms of how we bring it to bear uh, and what, what is it that we do that is effective when we bring it to bear. I think the gospel here is not only speaking from Jesus to those gathered, but indeed this phrase clearly resonates across the history of the body of Christ is an uh, exhortation to all of us in the church. Thank you. I feel that way too. Um, For me, it seems like only with the passage of time have I been able to see with any clarity or bear witness to any kind of divine interactions in my life. Um, More often than not, the most miraculous things I have experienced are tiny daily interactions with others. Um, Kind of like an honest conversation or um, when I seek counsel when I'm making a really difficult decision. Um, I will offer that the punctuation of laughter at just the right amount of stress um, when stress seems overwhelming, laughter can be such a gift, too. Um, an unexpected kindness that disrupts the chaos and helps me rebalance my world a little bit. These things have always been like where I've witnessed the gospel more frequently than not. Um, I wonder about how we wait in, um, wait for the blessing in a world that seems to insist on immediate gratification. Um, An immediate action, right? So the just do it idea might run contrary to the sitting quietly and waiting um, that I feel entreated to take on. So those pieces of the puzzle for me um, have been about how I have experienced um, bearing witness and waiting for the promised spirit. What about you, Don? I think there are different kinds of waiting that helped me get through this. And also question flowed into your next question, which is going to be about joy. So I'll say, see rejoicing temple. I'll show you what waiting is. So I'm going to try to do, go up to that point so I can answer the next question, but it flows into there. But I think for me, it's there are different kinds of waiting. Um, You know, is this the waiting to be endured? 
Is this the discipline of waiting? And even though I'm sure there's parts of that there, how long, O oh Lord, you know, from the Psalms, I think this is different. I, I think this is an active kind of waiting. Uh, and I do think it's based on memory, touch and feel. Prodigal-like, you know, as the prodigal approaches the house. You're not there yet. He's turned around. He's going home. I believe, John, that the first thing he's thinking once he gets within a mile of that house is he smells home. They're cooking something. It smells like home, feels like home. So, you know, this is a prodigal one mile out. You can touch it, feel it. You know, the human examples would be, uh, well, Sarah, you're from the theater. All right. The opening night tonight. Not in 10 years, and you're not hoping to audition. It's tonight. You know it. You can touch it. You can feel it. You're all, not just off book. You are ready to go. Uh, there's a party tonight. You're getting it ready. People are coming. You're reuniting with a family member in two hours. They are coming. It's right now, right now. And I think the behavior is different. The, the brightness of life is different. You know, you've got a, 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 a dancing in your steps as you walk around. I think it's that kind of a waiting. Uh, it's right around the corner. You could come up with anything in life, and there's always something like that around the corner. I don't want to cheapen it uh, by doing that because life's hard. I mean, life happens. Things happen. But I think this this passage, the Luke and stuff, is to say, see the final rejoicing. You know, I'll show you what waiting looks like. And, and I, and I this is going to come off as cheap, but I really want to go there. Is how are things transformed? when you're in that kind of a waiting in terms of what you do, what you see. And I think this goes to the temple too. Uh, too. So learner and low, you know, have this song and a man is just standing on the street because he's filled with love and happiness. And he says, I've been on the street a lot before. I'm not going to quote it and violate copyright, been on the street before. And you know what? Are there lilac trees in the heart of town? I never, I never noticed that before. Uh, there's what uh, enchantment flowing out of every door on this street where this person is, and I may see her. I'm not trying to get cheap on this, but boy, the world's different and bright, and there's a spring in his step. So I think that's connected to memory as well, because you've already seen something, the ascension, the, the resurrection, the, you know, all that's there. Uh, but I'll, I'll stop there because, you know, the rest of the answer, I think, is in your next question, which is, what is what is the joy that we see in the final bits here? Thanks, Sarah. Well, thank you, Don. That was a lovely. Um, what's the right word? Uh, continue uh, the 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 wonderful connections um, that you made there, because I think that was the other piece of the puzzle I was missing: is how do I how do I move from this to that? So, question number three is, how do you make the joy? What do you make of the joy mentioned in verse 52 and the continuous blessing of God in, mentioned in verse 53? And, Don, I want to throw this right back to you and let you carry us from that um, wonderful setup into the next thought. Just an, an exercise of memory. And I think it can be trivial to other people. It can be full. You, you know, they're back in a – how often have they gone to the temple? How often is the temple in, throughout the gospel story? John 2. It's not that it's John. We're going back. We return. You know, the God of coming and going, Jesus, is coming and going. Been there. Been there. Been there. Oh, I'll take it the next step. Been there, done that. Temple. Been there, done that. That street. Been there, done that. The Learner and Low Song. I've been on this street many times before. 
But, but, old hat, same old, same old, routine, uh, talking head, same as it ever was, uh, banal, drab, colorless. I relate to that, all of that. I'm sitting in a, well, I do podcasts 50% of the time sitting in this chair. It's the same, same as everyone. What is this joy that comes with the memory and the knowledge, and I'd say probably the ascension experience is joy. And I think a part of that joy is they are looking at the known world with new eyes, it's kind of like Bill Wallace fighting Craddock saying, you know, Jesus has been teaching what is known, but there's a new understanding. And I would just say, how? I've been going through the mental exercise of your question. How? When have I walked into a room or field or place or sat at something or had it just a tangible look at my coffee cup? I use the same one every week. Is there something different about it? And I think that's, that's the little transformations in the waiting, the joy in the waiting that, that this that Luke puts this at the end of the first book instead of the beginning of the next book. It's like walking through this doorway. It's like, get ready, get ready, get ready. I think the trivial and the small and all those are in there. And, of course, it is the temple. There's a prodigalness about this. Back again, back home again, but different. You see it. The colors are different. And we, we all have had that experience in our life. I hope it's been near, but maybe it's years past. And I think it's that kind of joy because – if waiting is enduring, then I don't know what the singing and the praying and the joy is going on in that temple. <laughs> that ain't enduring. That's something entirely different. So that, that's my bridge, Sarah. John, do you want to put some spin in this for us? What do you make of the joy in 52 and the uh, blessings that come in 53? I think that 51, the ascension verse here, the physical ascension verse is um, very succinct in part because we lack vocabulary. And sometimes when you lack vocabulary of, of, to describe something that is splendid or wondrous, um, it's, it's better to be succinct. Uh, it's more, maybe more accurate and actually more descriptive. Um, and so uh, that's true in 51 about the ascension because we are such spatial, chronological creatures. We live in space and time. And ascension is taking us, taking Jesus in that moment, to a reality that um, is not bound in the witness of the Scriptures, at least, and in the reasonableness of the sovereignty of God, is not bound by space and time the same way. Uh, and so we lack language to describe the experience of not being bound by space and time. In other words, to say it in a short theological way, Jesus, who was in a specific place at a specific time, is suddenly there in 51 in all places at all times. Um, and that's what happens there. Well, if that's what happens there, verse 52 and 53 are appropriately then also succinct to describe the reaction of the community of God's people in response to that. Um, and, and it's just two verses. Even as 51, it's just one. But they're packed full. Uh, and they worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And so that, that, that joy is preceded by two specific actions, worship and all that that entails, all that that one word is describing or pulling us into. 
and returning to a specific place, Jerusalem, which is, you know, uh, full of so many things in terms of meaning and experience uh, for these people. And amongst them, the fact that they had seen their leader tortured to death there and certainly were in peril for their own lives explicitly, but they go with joy now, um, which speaks to um, uh, the um, courage that they are given out of what they have just seen. And I think the joy is connected with the use of the word joy in the resurrection accounts in Luke. Um, I think the joy there is connected um, with the way in which they live together. And 53 takes it into a second statement then with the joy. The joy here entails worship together and, and being in community, even in the face of fear or possible pain together. And it also contains being in the temple, the worship spot, but they are the temple, the body of Christ uh, for God that they've become, but they're continually in it. That seems to me to be even a space and time word, uh, blessing God. I mean, um, I don't think 53 is saying, and they were just in the temple a lot. Um, I, I think it's saying they now began to live as a worshiping community and life together as the body of Christ. Uh, 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 one with another, whether they were at home sleeping or on their way to worship together. They were living as the body of Christ uh, in the face of um, fear or in the face of suffering. Uh, joy was the characteristic of their life together. And they were blessing God, which is, you know, counterintuitive because we are typically asking God to bless us. Uh, and here they are the ones who are actively um, participating in that being means of God's blessing. I agree with you completely. I I wonder if it's a disposition that kind of like a mindset that you would fall into and it shifts dramatically how you see everything around yourself with a new perspective. I'm thinking um, that witnessing the persistent miraculous might be a part of that, um, that they grew to understand a new reality that we can't. Um, and, and I'm curious on how we cultivate more joy. It's kind of like, how do you, how do you get patience? Well, you get patience by experiencing impatience. You get patience by being forced to sit and wait. And I'm wondering if, the way you experience joy is you start to see and look for the miraculous around you on a regular basis. I, um, I, I'm marveling at Jesus's and the language here, the, the active participant or the active participle of the nouns that they offer us up in, in the Greek words, um, that Jesus is continually blessing, blessing and blessing. And that and and the resource is un never ending might be the right language to think about that Jesus's blessing never stops, and that we can continually encounter it in each other and 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 by wondering and I'm using that word you know, like every good four year old I wonder about that, and it it makes me think hard, and I like that this idea of blessings upon blessings upon blessings and being continually pouring out joy 
into um, the um, ethos makes it something we can find on a regular basis uh, with each other. And I think that, that you, you've touched on something, John, for me that's valuable, that re- regaining the community that's built and going away from it and coming back to it and going away from it and coming back to it. I'm thinking about the friends I went to Haiti with, and I feel close to them, even if I haven't seen them in a while. I feel like, oh, there's my friend from Haiti. I love you. And so this is a sense of um, shared experience shared joy, shared hardship, and then the miraculous of coming back together and and having that resonance occur. And I think we experience this weekly when we log into this podcast and the collaboration that we feel is like, oh, there's my family. And it feels like, you know, you found your tribe. I will share that I had this one wonderful moment as a parent. Um, I would travel with my son. And my son is, is a kid that... Uh, Let's just say he runs with scissors, and that usually puts people off. And so in uh, summertime, we would travel up to Mosey, and Mosey is the Museum of Science and Industry here, and they would have summer camps specifically for really nerdy kids, and that would be something my son gravitated toward. And I remember we went to one camp, and we were running slightly behind our normal schedule of arrival, and it was the first day of camp. And the first day of camp is when you realize who's in your group, and everybody comes together. And he'd been going for a number of years, and we were running a little bit late, and we walked into the room, and the room erupted with joy, yelling my son's name. They were so excited that he was in their group that they responded as a unit with joy when he walked in the room. And it made me go, he found his tribe. And I was like, oh, it was one of those moments as a parent where you hope that your child will find their footing and you see it start to come together. And I think that's a hint of the joy and the blessings that we get. Thank you, Sarah. Well, and we're just about out of time, but in the time remaining, if John, if you're comfortable with this, I just want to highlight, since you're here and Palmasia Presbyterian Church really produces this program, makes it possible. There are over 14,000 downloads, and we hear that connection, uh, Sarah and I, as we travel. Uh, and this has been a linking power uh, in my life and real joy in terms of folks that are part of the podcast family. And Palmasia Presbyterian Church, I know, sees this as a part of its outward-looking ministry and, uh, you know, whether it's pastors or people facilitating groups that use the questions we come up with, it's created an additional family of followers uh, in my life. And I was just wondering before we say goodbye, if you have any observations on on this, uh, you know, I don't want to use technical language like this platform, but this this outreach, this ministry, this act of friendship that uh, Palmasia is engaged in. It's wonderful. It's something that we have great joy in uh, as a church and as um, a pastor that exists. Like um, uh, so many other things in the Christian life, there are elements of it that are very intentional, but there certainly is as a part of the journey towards it, things that happen out of God's providence and not our planning. And in terms of its outcome, 
You know, there are things that happen um, out of God's providence beyond our ability to imagine them, predict them, or um, to expect them. And so I acknowledge that, and that's full of great joy. We're um, grateful for the privilege of hosting it, and we are learning. You know, this passage, and we didn't talk about it, but it starts with this saying, um, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. They're learning uh, in the process, and that is language that resonates with the Emmaus story before this, almost identical language. And so, you know, even as this is a blessing, we're we're learning about how do you do this and what makes it work. Uh, that's part of the journey for us uh, in it as well. So I acknowledge that. I see it as a blessing. I experience it as a blessing. We're grateful it's a blessing. We have joy in it. And believe me, we're still learning. <laughs> this is a great a seismic shift moment in the life, I think, of the larger church around the world. Um, and, uh, COVID, of course, is, as has been repeated in so many different observations, the um, dynamic that pushed the church into an era that probably is going to end up being as large as 1440 with the invention of the printing press. Well, thank you. Uh, and with that, we're, we're out of time. Uh, Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We always commend that site to you, partly because you'll see this great guy face on many of the programs that are there, outstanding sermons, opportunity to take communion, great music, prayers, reflections, discussions of the lectionary, differences of opinion. So check that out, and you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.